So we have come to the place in the book, and as you heard it read, as you heard me talk with the young people, even in the children's message, you're, you're, you're catching a little bit of what this morning is going to be about, and the idea of using our financial resources to partner for the sake of the gospel and help the gospel message go forward. So we've come to the end of the book, where Paul is kind of getting around to this idea of why he wrote the book. The church at Philippi sent him a financial gift, and he wants to write back and say thank you. So this morning, we're going to talk about financial giving and the way it relates to getting the gospel out. So we're going to talk about money. And we have a lot of guests here this morning. And I just, to put your mind at ease, if you haven't been here before, we don't always talk about money. There's not going to be a second, uh, this is not a fundraising sermon. There's not going to be a second offering when we're all done. But when scripture talks about money, we're going to address it. And we've come to the end of the book and scripture talks about it. So we're going to talk about it. And I want to ask you this question, why do you give? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and if you're a part of a local church, why do you give money? money to, to God's people and God's works and God's ministries, whether that's this church or the church you're a part of or other opportunities, missionaries that you support, charitable giving that is seeking to do the Lord's work. Why do you give money to those ministries? What's your motivation? We're not going to talk this morning as much about like how to give and amounts to give. We're going to talk about some of the motivation and the heart thinking behind it. Uh, uh, but also then not just individually for us as individuals, but for us as a church, for Shawnee Baptist Church, the money that comes in for us, how, what's our motivation with the way that we spend it? with the way that we give to seek to support the ministry of the gospel. In the offering that was collected this morning, 20 cents out of every dollar that was given, by the way our budget breaks down, 20 cents out of every dollar will go to missions. As we seek to spread the gospel around the world through our supported missionaries, we as a church have set aside and determined that we want to give about 20% every year, and, and that money is going out the door, not, not for us here, but because the gospel, we want to see it spread. And what's our why are we doing that? What is our motivation for it? Do you give with the right heart motivation? Because you're, as we go through this passage, you're going to see that Paul is talking about the gift and he's talking about the money, but he goes to great extent to actually say, I'm not talking about the money. I'm talking about deeper spiritual heart issue things that relate to this. And he wants them to think about, he encourages them with truths that will then alter their motivation in the way that they give. And I don't I don't know if you know this, but it can be difficult to keep the motivation for giving correct. I, I kept things very tame as far as the children's message go in the, in the contest between the blue bucket and the pink bucket. Uh, I didn't get them any more riled up because they didn't need it. I don't know how many of you have seen Vacation Bible School here at Shawnee and the way that that works. And I don't know how it works in your house, but the kids are so excited at the end of every day to see on Tuesday who gave more pennies, the boys or the girls, right? And on day two, who gave more nickels, the, the, the boys or the girls? And there's this contest that goes back and forth, and there is just uh, euphoria on the part of the winning team and uh, tears on the part of the losing team. And they go home with so much more motivation to give. Mandy, I wish that we could say that $2,500 was given because we love you and we love to see the gospel go forward in Portugal. But in my house, I'm not speaking for any of the rest of your houses, the primary driving force was the, you know, that one, either the boys or the girls would win, you know. So uh, for the sake of the gospel, we're excited that you get to use $2,500 
to see to see God's work continue in Portugal. But uh, what is our motivation for giving, and why why do we contribute our funds the way that we do, and how should we think about that? And you see this church throughout the letter. You've seen the close relationship that they have with Paul, the way that they love him. They've heard about his need as he's in prison, and, and they've sent this financial gift. And he wants to encourage them, and he wants to put the gift in perspective, and he wants them to think about really what God accomplished through this. And you'll see the way he goes through that. So let's jump into this. We have much to accomplish as we go through the text and then even get to the Lord's table afterwards. So here's what Paul says in relation to their gift. He's talked about his concerns. He's talked about their concerns. He's really starting to wrap the letter up. This is his thank you. And he comes to their gift. And he says in verse 10, I rejoiced. I had joy in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So he starts to thank you, but he doesn't get into it right away. He hasn't yet made everything clear. And so I want to talk just a little bit. I want you to catch a little bit of what happens in these three verses, because some of the themes are going to be repeated again in the next five verses. And I want you to see some, there's, there's some interesting dynamics going on behind the scenes. What he says in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern. That word revived would be, it's like a word that would have been used in horticulture or plants or flowers that once were blooming and then they went dormant and now they're blooming again. And so this church, the church at Philippi, had a close friendship with Paul and they on more than one occasion had supported him financially, but for a long time they hadn't been able to. And he's like, now you sent this gift and my joy is full that that friendship that it represents is revived again. You, you, your concern for me is evident. It is now blossoming. It is now blossoming. And, and at one point you had... Um, it, 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 you had contributed to my needs in my ministry and you hadn't for a long time. Not that you weren't concerned. He, you, you see him almost stepping on eggshells. I, I know you were concerned for me. You just had no opportunity. So whether it was the fact that financially they didn't have the means to support him in the past or nobody was going the 800 miles to Rome, they, they had no way to contribute to the ministry of Paul. And so it had been some time since a gift like this had come. And he, and he wants them to know that he's really thankful for the gift, but he doesn't want them to think that he's been suffering as if he had no money and, and as if like he was really discouraged at his lack of means. So he goes to great lengths to explain to them and says, uh, I, I'm not speaking of being in need. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul, in terms of his financial well-being in the different phases of his life, has been on both ends of the spectrum. There's times when he's not known where his next meal is coming from, and there's times where he has lavishly been overabundantly supplied in terms of his financial possessions. And so he doesn't want them to think that what he now that he's addressing the financial gift, he's not primarily talking about 
the financial gift. The, the, the reminder of it is their friendship and their relationship, and that's what brings him joy. Is not now that his needs are met, but that their friendship and their concern for the sake of the gospel and their friendship with Paul has now at great lengths been revived. So why is Paul being so careful? I think we need to ask that question as you look at this, because if, if you notice this thank you, there's some really interesting parts to this thank you. Because what I've already read in verse 10, he wants to say thank you, and he can almost come across as, uh, I'm glad that finally you got around to giving to me, because it had been a long time since you'd given to me. That's almost how it sounds, right? And then he says, by the way, I didn't really even need the gift. I've learned to be content, whether I have a lot or whether I have little. Uh, I don't need the gift that you've given to me, but thanks for it. You see, you see what a tricky place he's in? He needs to be able to teach them the proper value of money and the, and the relationship to material goods, and there's a couple of extremes that he needs to avoid. Uh, on the one hand, uh, he doesn't want them to think that material needs are so important, like, thank you for the gifts, now I can buy the lazy boy chair that I wanted and put that here in my jail cell, and now life is going to be much better because you've made me a lot more financially comfortable. He doesn't doesn't want to do that, but he needs to be grateful for the way that they have sacrificed to contribute in his ministry. And so he says, I, I, I know the secret to being content. Whether I have a lot or whether I have a little, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and I realize that the secret to contentment is not in things, but in the Christ, in the God who is God over all the things. And there was a little bit of, in the day, the uh, in Greco-Roman culture, the philosophers of the day, there was this branch of thinking called Stoicism, and so to be a Stoic was to say that the way to find contentment was in, not in, you, you needed to devalue the material world around you, and you would never find contentment and joy in material things, and instead, if you look deep within, you would find contentment and joy there, and then either the, the, the abundance of things or the lack of things would have no effect on your soul, because you, you had found uh, self-fulfillment in yourself, right? And Paul says, look, your things are not important to me. Uh, I've learned how to abound, and I've learned how to be brought low. But he doesn't say the secret is in, his, in himself. He says the secret is in Christ. He, it's not self-fulfillment isn't found in self to the absence of things. The, the secret to contentment that he has learned, it's a process he's had to come to himself, is that things have no power and control over him because he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. It, his, his secret to contentment is setting his sights on Christ. And so this would have been, had a, a similar message to what they were hearing in the culture around them, that things are not important, that the secret to contentment was not things, but he redirects it to a Christ-centered focus, that the true way to find contentment is in a God who can supply all things. And so when you look at verse 13 in context, a well-known verse, now you understand what Paul is saying. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is not saying I can do any supernatural thing I want and God's going to give me the strength to do that. 
And often you see this verse ripped out of context to mean something like that. That I can do anything I want and Christ will give me the strength to do it. You see what Paul is saying? He's saying I can do the things that God, whether it's, whether it's to abound or whether it's to be brought low, these are the things that I can accomplish to the glory of God through Christ who gives me strength. And so Paul wants them to understand where true contentment comes from. That, that, that they need to realize that it's, it's centered on Christ and they went to great lengths to lavish these gifts on him. But he wants them to know that, that, that uh, while he's thankful for the gift, while it truly will help them, he's interested in something far deeper. There's a more spiritual truth that he wants them to see. So let's keep going. And it says this in verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. I want to stop at these two verses because there's a couple of words that I want to key on. In verse 14, it was kind of you to share my trouble. The root word is the root word for the word fellowship, koinonia. If you've seen, we've talked about that before, that in chapter 1, in verse uh, 5, he's thanking God for them, and he's rejoicing in their partnership or in their fellowship in the gospel, that they have partnered together with with Paul. And so he says, it was kind of you to share or to partner in my trouble. So here's Paul in jail, and he says, this really was kind of you that you sacrificed and you gave in this way. And you know that when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership. Again, a different version with the same root word of fellowship. You, you fellowshiped with me in the gospel when no one else was. So if, at one point, uh, we have gone back to Acts chapter 16, where Paul started the church at Philippi. This would been 10 to 12 years before he wrote this letter. And when he gets run out of town, think about it, Paul is proclaiming the gospel and he gets run out of town to the point where he is no longer welcomed in the city. And it would have been an uncomfortable thing for anybody to stand next to Paul at that point. For anybody to say, yes, that's my friend. I support him. I think the work he's doing is good. In fact, I'm even willing to financially contribute. That would have been a, you would have been putting yourself at risk uh, to identify with him. And Paul says, you, you, nobody else did, and yet you guys did. At the very beginning, when the gospel first came to you, you entered into this partnership. You were using your funds to support my ministry. He says this, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So on two occasions, you helped And then he says this in verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He again goes to pains to say, listen, I'm thanking you for your gift, and you guys have been tremendous in the way that you've partnered with me, he tells them, but I want you to know I'm not seeking the gift. Uh, what I'm excited about, what brings me joy is not your, spirit, your financial gift. What brings me joy is the, finan- is the spiritual credit that is credited to your account. And Paul realizes that, that as, even as he started in chapter 1, I'm confident that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. This is part of what God is doing in working out their salvation in their life, that now they're financially contributing to Paul's work. And he realizes that there is a spiritual blessing, and he wants them to be, to be focused on the fact that, that he is focused on the spiritual truth of their gift. 
He's not focused on the financial gift itself. If on the one hand he needed to avoid the danger of stoicism, the, avoid the danger of the idea that con true contentment is found in self-fulfillment, there's, there's another aspect by which he needed to be very careful talking to this church about money. If you've seen in the New Testament in other ways, Paul was very careful in who he accepted financial gifts from. There were times in his ministry among churches where he wouldn't accept financial gifts, lest anyone would have a mark against him that his true motivation was somehow less than honorable. And so he was willing to work as a tent maker and he wouldn't accept money. From this church, he had a relationship with them such that he was comfortable accepting their financial gift. But in the day, in the culture of the day, there still would have been philosophers who, through their speaking and through their, uh, whether it was a false doctrine or a false religion or just, a fa uh, uh, or just a philosophy of the day, through their ministry, then they would expect others to contribute to them financially, even to the point of going door to door if necessary. And so you understand and catch the idea that, that there, he would have had to be careful in the way he talks about this. So he wants to thank them, but he wants them to understand his primary concern is not the gift that he gave. That's not why he's excited, because they saw him in need and contributed to him financially. What he's excited about is that they are, are partnering with him, they have a friendship with him, and now, because of this being worked out in their life, there's a spiritual credit to their account. And he says in verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. A fragrant offering, an acceptable uh, sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And so here the Philippians have sent this financial gift. He finally gets to the gift. He finally, after all those verses, through Epaphroditus, you sent a gift, and he says, I'm well supplied. He's, he's abundantly got enough money. And so he wants to thank them for it. In that day, a prisoner of the state of Rome would not be supplied for by the state. The state had no obligation to feed them meals and to, uh, uh, if, if Paul was under house arrest, the state would not have provided the rent for his housing. So whatever it was, if you were a prisoner in the state of Rome, you relied on the well wishes and the gifts of family and friends to even keep you alive. And Paul says, now I'm well supplied. I, I, I'm stocked up. Thank you for the gift. And so he encourages them that way. Now, there's a trick here. Uh, in, in friendship, especially in the day and thinking of the day, but you, you see some of it resonate with us in the way that friendship works, in the giving and receiving relationship that's inherent in friendship. Unfortunately, sometimes friendship would, there's a danger of it taking impure foundation of friendship, that there's a utilitarian purpose to friendship, that if, if you're a friend that can be useful to me, then I will use your friendship. And so that's a danger that you don't want, and you see that come into play when there's an exchange of financial goods. But there is still this understanding that when sometimes if, if I give you a gift, there's this obligation that you feel to reciprocate. At times that comes into play, and Paul recognizes that. And, and so here the Philippians have gifted Paul, and now he's 800 miles away in prison. He can't, he can't even come back you know, and minister to them or anything. He's certainly not going to reciprocate in any way. So what, what happens to the reciprocation of the gift? Uh, now, now what's going to happen for them? Certainly they didn't give with that motive by any means, and yet you see Paul speak towards it here in verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And, and Paul recognizes that now God will provide and supply for the Philippians. There's, there's, 
if you were to go to Corinthians, there's a place where Paul makes it clear that the churches in this region gave not out of their abundance and wealth, but out of their poverty, that they sacrificed to help brothers in need. And so here is Paul, and he recognizes this church would be one that has financial needs, and he says, thank you for the gift, and I want you to know that God is going to supply all of your needs according to riches, according to riches according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And Paul wants them to realize that. Now, this doesn't mean that the bank accounts of the Philippians are going to fill up full. This doesn't mean that life is now going to be easy for the Philippians. And often you see there are ministries that will twist this verse and that will make someone think, if you give, it will be given to you in like kind. And that we need to be giving financially so that we are getting... And that is completely ripping this verse out of context. That's not what was taking place here for a few reasons. Number, number one, think about it this way. This, this was a promise to the Philippians that God would supply their needs, probably physical and otherwise spiritual needs with the qualifier that it was according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That the, Their greatest spiritual need has been provided for in Christ. But think of it this way. This promise was to the Philippians who gave with a right heart motive. They gave such that Paul even says that their offering was a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. That their offering was one that brought a pleasing aroma to God. And since they gave with right heart motives, then God would bless. And not just financially, that's not even primarily what it's speaking towards, but there's no reason for us to think that promise to the Philippians, there's no reason for us to translate that to us. And if we give with wrong heart motives to think, that God is going to somehow return and bless that. That's completely misusing this verse. And so we wouldn't want to go that direction of thinking that. Also, you've got to keep it in context of the Paul who's talking. He's talking himself about how he has been brought low. He's in prison himself right now. He doesn't know if he's going to make it out of this alive. And so when he says that God will supply all of your needs, he's not talking about a life of health and wealth and prosperity because that certainly wasn't even true of Paul's life. I've got some verses for you in the book of 2 Corinthians that I would like you to see when Paul talks about some of his life. And we're going to pick it up in verse 23, right in the middle of that verse. And for a while, he's been talking about all the good things that have happened in his life. And now he's going to talk about some of the bad things in his life. And he says this. He's speaking, he's just kind of giving a tally list of every difficult thing that's happened to him. And he says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Does anybody want to sign up for that list? This is what, this, even, even what, with the context of what Paul went through, he had confidence that God would supply all of his needs according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. These are the all things that Paul knew he could accomplish through Christ who strengthens him. And we need to understand that and keep that in mind that we, we don't give so that we can get. 
We don't seek to bless others so that they will then be a blessing to us or so that somehow God owes us a blessing. Romans speaks that no one can outgive God. That's not our motivation for why we give. So why is it that we give? Coming back to Philippians chapter 4, and he says that this is an acceptable and a pleasing gift, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This was Paul's motivation, that he wanted God to be glorified. And, and, and that the believers there at Philippi who were contributing to his ministry, this was helping him get the gospel forward. And he knew that God would get the glory in that. And God would even get the glory for the spiritual gift that was credited to their account. And this is what Paul sought. He didn't want the gift. The gift was involved, but the gift represented their spiritual friendship, their partnership for the gospel. The gift represented the opportunity for the gospel to be go forward so that God would get the glory. And this is what Paul was excited about. And he says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And, and this should be our mindset. So why do we give as Christians? And why as a church are we giving 20 cents out of every dollar to missions? It's because we want the gospel to go forward. It's, it's, it's because we want God to be honored and glorified in places where his name is not yet known because he deserves that glory. And so we should be people who think about our finances in such a way that this it's not about the money. It's about the glory of God and how can I contribute and participate and partner with those who are doing the work of the Lord. Steve Lawson says this, every believer should be one who invests financially in the work of the Lord. We should be like the Philippians, shrewdly supporting those servants and ministries who are faithfully proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we give to the work of spreading the gospel, we are wisely using what has been entrusted to us for the greater glory of God. May that be our mindset with our money, that we desire to partner with those who are spreading the gospel so that God gets the glory. May that be our motivation. May the, may the tr as we think about money, may the truths of the song that we sung earlier in the service ring true in our hearts. Uh, that, that riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise, thou mine inheritance, now and always, thou and thou only be first in my heart. High King of Heaven, my treasure thou art. That's the way we think about money, that it is not our treasure, that God and his glory is, and any opportunity we have to help contribute to that message going out, well, then that is what those gifts are about. That's our motivation, the glory of God. And so Paul wants them to understand that. And in verse 21, he has a couple final greetings, and I want us to close with this. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. The, the idea is there, every single one of you individually gr greet each one there at the church in Philippi. Every, everyone who's on Team Jesus, uh, uh, pass on my greetings. And, and the brothers who are with me, pass on their greetings to you. There would have been some mutual acquaintances in the group. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. I want to come back to that phrase. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And so Paul opened by wishing grace on them. He closes the book by wishing grace on them. And he wants them to see this mutual exchange. I, I just really love it how we have a lot of guests and visitors this morning that we've known from different contexts. And it's great to be, and to be able to greet and pass on greetings and how's things going there where you are. And, and, and we are connected as the body of Christ. And he wants to pass on these greetings 
And he's got a particular greeting that he wants to pass on. And especially, did you catch it? Especially the believers in Caesar's household. Now, if you were a believer at Philippi, that would have resonated with you. I mean, Caesar is in Rome. It's because of Caesar that your life in Philippi is so difficult. Uh, It's because Philippi, as a Roman colony, has allegiance to the Roman emperor that, that now you, who are claiming your allegiance to Jesus Christ, you're facing this persecution. You're, whether or not your life is in danger or to whatever extent you're being persecuted, it's because of Caesar in Rome. And it's because everybody who lives in Philippi proclaims Caesar as Lord, the Roman emperor as Lord. And yet you proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. And get this, in the sovereignty of God, there are believers in Caesar's household. How cool is that, right? That there are Christians, whether these be servants or or soldiers or whoever it was that made up Caesar's household, and there are Christians there. And perhaps through Paul, they knew about the believers in Philippi. And these believers in Caesar's house, make sure you greet them. Pass on our greetings. And I I just want us to be encouraged with that truth. Do you remember at the start of the book, chapter 1, and Paul writes and he says, I want you to know what has happened to me has only served to advance the gospel. That here is Paul in Rome and they're concerned about him and they send this financial gift and he says, "Don't I I want you to know that God is working out his plans and purposes as such as he gets to the end and he says, there's even believers in Caesar's household and they pass on their greetings to you. This is why we partner for the sake of the gospel. This is why we desire desire to see the gospel go forward, not just here at Shawnee Baptist Church in Shemong and Medford and Tabernacle, Southampton and these communities around here, but we want to see God's name made famous in places where he's not yet known. And we want to see, think about it. Here is Paul. He's now in prison. He's captive by Rome. In chapter 2, he was telling you his credentials. He was a persecutor of the church. Paul used to devote his life to shutting down the church and now he was radically converted and he is seeking to spread the gospel message of the church. And may God do more of that through Shawnee Baptist Church. May as we seek to partner with those doing the work around the world, as God maybe God would raise up someone from this congregation to take the gospel where God is not yet known. And that we would desire to see more of this, where Paul, who used to be against the church, is now in prison uh, and spreading the gospel in Caesar's household. May, may stuff like that still happen today. And God desires to do that. May we as a church gladly and joyfully and willingly and sacrificially be generous in our giving so that, so that God gets the glory, so that his name is known, so that there, and there is even a spiritual fruit that's accredited to our account in that. And we rejoice in that. May that be our motivation for giving. Because this truly is what it's all about. It's this message that we're going to remember that it's, it's Christ's broken body. It's his shed blood that provides the forgiveness of sins. And there is no other way to heaven except through the gospel message. There are millions of people in the world, billions that do not know that it's Christ's broken body and shed blood for which the forgiveness of sins is possible. 
And, and Paul writes to this church to thank them that they enabled him to continue spreading the gospel. May we as a church, with our money as individuals and corporately, seek to spread that message because this is what it's about, and it's about the glory of God and his name being known. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the way that you have worked in our lives to make the gospel message known to us. Father, we ask that for your sake and for your name, that you would use this church, the monies represented in this church, the way we spend our money as a church, the missionaries that we support. May you use all of these efforts so that others would know about you, so that, that you would be glorified and honored around the world. Father, I, I pray for any that may be here and don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. May you bring a conviction of sin such that they realize they need to understand how to have a relationship with you, how they can be made right with you, and may you work in their hearts through these truths. We thank you for these messages that, that we thank you for the message that Paul gave to the Philippians and the way that it has worked in our hearts. Father, may you work in us so that our love would abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment so that we would be found pure and blameless on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of you. We ask and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.